Welcome to TrackCast, the Real Estate Council's official podcast, coming at you from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for joining us. Last Friday, Trek hosted a conversation about racial inequality in America with Richie Butler, who is senior pastor at St. Paul United Methodist Church and senior managing director at Prescott Group. Entitled Together We Heal, the talk was facilitated by our program's chair, Kim Butler of Hall Group, and focused on the deep-rooted violence, injustice, and inequality against black lives due to decades of systemic racism that continues to overwhelm our nation. You'll learn more about Richie in just a bit, but he's a remarkable man with a remarkable story and is a tremendous force for equality here in DFW. We're so grateful that he was able to give us an hour of his time and answer questions from the 70-plus Trek members who listened in on Friday. As always, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and follow Trek on social media so you don't miss a new episode or update from us. Now, here's a replay of Together We Heal right here on TrekCast. You know, I've personally seen Trek over 30 years harness the energy of very caring people to make a big difference in the community. And I subscribe to the theory of actions speak louder than words, but at some points in time, words are very important. And Trek has felt with the um, recent days that it was important to release a statement. And I thought that that statement or portions of it would set the tone today for our discussion. So I'd like to read portions of that statement. And I read, we are in a watershed moment for our nation and our community in addressing the festering invisible plague of injustice and confronting racism. As Americans, we value and honor the right to assemble peacefully and to express our outrage at the continuing violence and inequality. This level of anxiety, hurt, and anger has long simmered beneath the surface of our society due to decades of systemic racism, and we must stand on the side of justice. For three decades, the Real Estate Council has worked with partners in Dallas's underserved communities to promote equality and inclusion by creating education, housing, and job opportunities. While we are proud of our history and the work we've done in our community, the tragic events of recent weeks have illuminated how much further we have to go before we achieve our goals for a thriving and equitable Dallas. Trek not only stands firm in its commitment to continue the work it has done for the past decades, but also strives to listen, to understand, and to take further actions toward its purpose to create the infrastructure of full opportunities for all of Dallas. Which brings us to today's conversation. And for it to be a meaningful one, we need your participation. It's intended to be an interactive forum. And so as you have questions, please send those via the chat function to Holland Morris and send them. Anytime you hear something that sparks your question, send it right in. She'll be gathering those and then she'll be sending those uh, to us for us to uh, have a discussion. I'd also like to welcome to our discussion Mike Ablon. Mike is Vice Chair of Trek and has been such a huge contributor not only to our industry uh, but to our city in finding solutions to problems to make Dallas a better place for all. So Mike, thanks for being with us. And now I have the great privilege of introducing uh, Richie Butler. Richie's the Senior Pastor of St. Paul United Methodist Church in the Arts District in downtown Dallas. He's also a senior managing director for Prescott Group. 
He has 18 years of real estate, fund management, and private equity experience. He's founder of Project Unity, which sponsors several programs. One of those is Together We Ball, pastors, police, and community basketball event. And it's an initiative that uses sports to bring community and law enforcement together. So we'll look forward to hearing more about that. He also um, started Together We Dine, which is a program that brings people together to have safe and meaningful conversations about race. And he's also the co-convener of a weekly national prayer call for racial healing and reconciliation. In 2016, in response to the five police officers who were ambushed in Dallas, he launched the Year of Unity, a community-wide initiative to bridge, bridge racial divides. Uh, Richie holds two degrees from SMU, a master's from Harvard, and has studied extensively in urban planning at MIT. I really enjoyed getting to know Richie uh, better, and he is quite a fascinating person with an interesting journey uh, to end up with his passion for unity. So, uh, Richie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey, perhaps starting when you first came to Dallas to play defensive back for the SMU Mustangs. Uh, first of all, Kim, thank you. And to the Real Estate Council, uh, Linda, Mike, and everyone, appreciative for this uh, time and for your leadership in this community. Uh, yeah, I went to SMU, I made my way there, um, had a lot of options. I tell people I brought the program back from the death penalty. So if you remember, uh, that was 1989, uh, for those who were old enough, old enough to remember those days. Uh, so SMU got the death penalty. So I was a team that brought the program back. I tell people I lost more games my freshman year than I did three years on varsity in high school. And three of my losses in high school were playoff games. So I definitely was not used to, to losing, but it, it taught me a lot of character, uh, built me up and prepared me for moments like these. That's great. Um, and and it, yeah. And and in addition to you know S, SMU, you about this this moment as a speak as we speak to this moment, I also will acknowledge uh, I didn't know my sort of sort of legacy or sort of recognizing calling, uh, but you know in, in 1999 98, uh, my first real estate deal in Southern Dallas. Uh, the name of it was Unity Estates, uh, which was sponsored by the African American Pastors Coalition in Southern Dallas. Had not had new development in probably over 20 years. Uh, that was 90, 98, 99, 2002. We started a church called Union Cathedral. Uh, and in 2014, we merged Union Cathedral with St. Paul United Methodist Church. A month after we merged the two churches, the vision for Project Unity was birthed in 2000. And 17, we launched the Year of Unity. And out of that, all of the Together We uh, programming from Dine, uh, Ball, Sing, et cetera. So two years ago, I sort of looked back and realized there's a theme to my, to my journey, whether it's business, uh, civic, or even my faith, and that is unity. That's awesome. Well, t talk to us about the events of recent days and what is coming out of that for our city and what response we should have. So um, I think Dr. King uh, wrote his last book entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? And I think 
uh, that's the question that, that we're having to ask ourselves, because I believe this country is at a crossroads and we have to decide if it's going to be chaos or we're going to really decide to build uh, a genuine community that he actually describes uh, toward the tail end of that, that book. And, and I recognize, I believe this, this moment, especially what happened with George Floyd, uh, has unleashed something in our, in our country, especially uh, as it relates to my white brothers and sisters on the matter of race. Um, and what, what I mean by that, this is different. When we think about the uh, past protests, uh, it has probably largely been people of color and a sprinkling of our white brothers and sisters. But when we consider today and you think about the protests, uh, it is it is a lot of my white brothers and sisters in the forefront. And you think about where protesting has taken place. I mean, from Des Moines, Iowa to Salt Lake City. Uh, the last time, last time I checked, there weren't that many, you know, people that looked like me in those locales. So you sort of expect urban, you know, markets and centers to have uh, a healthy population of protesters. But to have it all over this country, I think, says something uh, about this about this moment. Furthermore, I believe that you know there is just a a sense that something needs to be needs to be done, and and it requires this moment is bigger than than all of us because I can imagine we're overwhelmed. Uh, many of us don't know you know what to do. We uh, want to plug in or do something, but don't quite understand what that looks like, and. It's bigger than us, but I believe it also requires all of us to lean in, to dig in, and to play our role in moving us forward through this moment. Because I've always acknowledged to people that, that racism is a cancer on our society. And the last, thing, last time I checked, if you do not treat or deal with the cancer, it can kill you. And, and we watched uh, over the years how this this virus, this cancer uh, on us continues to just plague us. And I think, I think people are recognizing it's, it's time for us to finally deal with it. And, and one of the things I get questions all the time at this, this present moment is, you know, how can I help? What can I do, especially for my white brothers and sisters? And, and I just want to say right now, uh, I don't want you to do, I need you to listen. And not just, I mean, listen, and not listen with, with an agenda, not listen with an attitude, not listen with, with your perspective and in mind, but just literally like an empty vessel or, or an empty pitcher. Just listen, take in <clears throat> and hear and, and recognize the pain, the hurt, uh, the history, and, and, and just absorb that for, for a moment in, in the way of listening. And from that, from that listening, then I wanna encourage you not necessarily to start doing yet, but I think we need to also get into a place of just being, to be. And, and that means to be still, to be silent, uh, to, to be introspective, to, in the words of Howard Thurman, to turn, to, turn, to center down and to turn inward. Uh, because I think we as a nation and as individuals, we really have to unpack the history of, our, of, race, of race and racism in this nation. I tell people all the time, people were not born racist. We have been, uh, we, we, we've been designed because it's just been part of our culture and to unpack that is, is a necessary and important process. 
And that means it's, it's uncomfortable, uh, it is daunting, it is challenging, uh, it may evoke some faint from some shame, um, a whole lot of emotions and considerations, but, but I, I think it's important that we take the time to, to engage in that exercise because that's the only way I believe ultimately we can move forward because it allows us and forces us to deal with our prejudices, our biases, what we've been taught. And, and, and some of what we've been taught is by people we love and value. Because I always tell people in my household about my kids, I, give, I, can, I can give my kids some assets and I provide them with some liabilities. And I'm not just talking about, you know, in way of property, but I'm talking about personality. I'm talking about thinking mindset. And so there's some things that we, you know, some liabilities that we have to, you know, rid ourselves of, and that's painful. And sometimes we don't want to look look ourselves in the mirror and deal with with some of those those you know untouched and undealt with uh, matters that affect us as a community as a whole. And so I just want to encourage us, and I also want to encourage my white brothers and sisters to know this: that if Black people, African Americans, could have ridded this nation of racism. Do you not know we would have done it a long time ago? Which means that we need you to dig in to this matter and into this, this moment with us so that we can move this thing forward. And at the end of the day, we didn't create it. So, so we need you uh, to, to, to take on the responsibility that goes along with how we deal with and how we move forward around the matter uh, of, of racism. Uh, because this is not about me, it's not about you. This really is about our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, the future, because as I stated before, we're, I believe we're at a crossroads. And do we want community, or are we, seek, are we seeking to, to maintain chaos? And I'm convinced that most of us want to build a genuine community. And the last thing I'll say, Kim, is that uh, I know it's uncomfortable and may not know what to say. But I also want you to know that silence is not a form of engagement when it comes to this matter. Um, and so some of us are silent. And silence sends a message. Even if it's unintentional, it sends a message when you are silent. You know, you and I have talked about the need to unpack the baggage. Talk a little bit more about that. You gave, you gave a great analogy of uh, that in relation to marriage. And I think so many of us can, can grasp that concept. So talk a little bit about how we unpack the baggage. Well, well I mean, I think we need to, to recognize uh, that none of us is perfect and that we definitely have some, uh, some baggage and, and, and issues, especially around, around racism and, and biases that are unconscious. And, and you think about it, we're talking about 245 years of slavery uh, and then 80 years of Jim Crowism where, you know, we were separate but equal. And we know that we were never, it was always separate and unequal and, you know, different water fountains and the perception that because of the color of my skin, I'm different and I'm less than. And, and that, that has to, that's played in our psyches, whether or not we want to acknowledge it. It is, and it's a part of us, and so we have to unpack that. And I, I liken it to, you know, being in a, a marriage. We're we're in a relationship here in America, and 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 you, whether it's black or white, but we're in a relationship. And, and I've been married twenty six years, and I tell people, 
that I may have done something in year 10 of my marriage and my wife may bring it up in year 25. And I'm thinking to myself, are we past this? But truth of the matter is, if we've never dealt with what happened in year 10 and I tried to gloss it over and pretend, you know, buy some flowers and, you know, take her on a trip and, you know, make her feel good or hopefully she forgets about it, then in year 25, it's still going to resonate. Or, or if I do something that, that sort of exposes or causes that wound to, to open up. And, and when we think, uh, think about it in that context, we're in this relationship and, and every time a black person is, is killed by, by law enforcement or there's a sense of injustice, you got to understand, you know, that's baggage from, from years past that in this relationship, we, gotta, we have to unpack and we have to deal with as a collective, if we expect to go forward, if we expect to stay married as these United States of America. You know, the Together We Don program, um, I find so helpful. Explain how that works and how that's been helpful in bridging the racial divide. So what, what we do, the vision around it is to bring people together to have a courageous and safe conversation around race. Uh, and it doesn't matter where you are on the continuum of your education or for to use the vernacular of this generation, you know, my kids' generation to determine if you're woke or not. Maybe you're asleep and, and a 10 is you're woke. Uh, wherever you are, Together We Dine really seeks to meet people at that point. And so what happens at a dine, you may have 150 people there, but you're at a table of six to eight. And there are a set of questions that are at that table. And every individual uh, at that table is going to be responsible for taking a question and responding to that question. And the question might be, you know, how was race, race talked about in your, in your house growing up? And then how do you deal with it, you know, with your children? Another question would be, when was your first encounter with, encounter with racism? And, and those questions are, are supposed to evoke emotion and give the person who's responding to that question a chance to just share their story. And the job, as I stated earlier, the job for everyone else is simply to listen. Together We Don is an exercise in listening. We're building our listening muscles. And sometimes we don't do a very good job of that. So we're building those muscles. And in that process, we learn about people and we learn their story. And it gives us a greater appreciation for who we are. And we literally have had people who have gone through the Together We Don and they created unity groups. And some groups two or three years later are still meeting, connecting, have built bonds, traveling together. And, and that's how we are going to, you know, move ourselves forward and cure ourselves of this uh, cancer. I see a question coming up here. This must be a sports fan. Talk about the basketball event and how that has helped law enforcement and the black community come together. Okay. Um, so one of the things I, I realize is there are, three things in my opinion, there may be some other things, but three essential things that bring people together. Uh, food, sports, and music. And we, when we think about sports, this process is for a minute when, when Hurricane Katrina, you know, 
devastated New Orleans and the Gulf Coast, um, New Orleans woke up or, or sort of had a, a rebirth, not when the, the church opened up, not when businesses opened up, not when the schools reopened, but when the New Orleans Saints returned to the Superdome, that there was this sense of unity and people coming together. And as a former athlete, I, I recognize the importance and power of sports when it teaches us to play, you know, play, know your position, you know, do your part and, and rely on your teammate. And they may look different than you. So sports definitely plays that role. And so we've leveraged that with our Together We Ball program where we bring, you know, community uh, leaders, uh, the law enforcement uh, together for a, for a big basketball event. And we'll have thousands of people. We even have a pregame, uh, a game before the big game where we bring high school students together from all over North Texas, from different schools, you know, from, you know, from Richardson School District to, to you know, DISD to, you know, uh, Colleyville, Highland Park schools. I mean, kids from all over come and play in this, this basketball game that launches the big game uh, where, you know, from city council members to school board members to actually your own president, uh, Linda McMahon, uh, shot a free throw. We have an old school free throw shootout. But what it does, it, it allows us to connect each other in a situation or a setting in, of calm. Because typically, especially in communities of color, when there is an encounter with law enforcement, it is typically out of crisis. Something has gone wrong. And so the ball game allows people to see police out of their uniforms and in a different uniform. And everyone's in the same uh, uniform type. You know, one of the, the gentlemen who provides the, the, the refereeing for this game uh, said to me the first year we put it on, he said, Pastor, I want to thank you for organizing Together We, we Ball because uh, I really have issues with law enforcement. But he said, this has helped to change my perspective and attitude because he saw them in a very different light. And so I think that is, that is healthy. And what it means is we've got to focus and bring back this whole notion in a very sy systemic way. We got to bring back community policing and, and where, where police are on the ground connecting with, with people in the community. They know the people. And when you know someone, there, there's a different response to a crisis versus when you are strangers. We have a, that's incredible, thank you. Uh, another question, can you speak to the protests a little? How does the spotlight continue to shine on the issue once the protests are behind us? Well, well I, I get the sense that, that the protesters are not uh, slowing down um, and, and that they, and let me say this, if you think about it, the Montgomery boy, bus boycott was over a year uh, in terms of those individuals who boycotted the bus services so that they could have the option to sit wherever they wanted to. And so I think this is a, a different generation that recognize that we're not letting up until we get some response from our elected officials and from, from our leaders. And, and I think that requires a uh, response. I will say this, I hope and pray that the protesting leads to individuals who take their voting responsibility as serious as they do protesting. 
Here's a question. As a white person, I've heard I should talk to black people about their experiences, but I'm scared of saying the wrong thing, being offensive or appearing to be lazy, asking black people to tell me how to fix this problem. Is there a non-offensive way to go about this? Let, let, let me say this. There is no magic uh, formula for, for this engagement. I, I would first of all say, I think one has to be authentic and genuine in their approach. And as, a, as an African-American, if, if I know that, that that is your, that's who you are, uh, and I would probably start with someone whom I have some relationship with or familiarity, because I think that's the, you know, the beginning, but because of that relationship, and you know, you just, and I think what you've just said, I think putting it out there saying, you know, I am, I'm an empty vessel. And I don't want to trip over myself. I don't want to say anything to offend you. Uh, I think that that sort of sets the atmosphere for some real authentic, genuine conversation. I, I think also when you approach this from, from this benevolent benefactor mentality where, you know, I, I, I got the answer. I, I, I know what, what your problem is. I think that becomes an issue. But when, when we humble ourselves and say, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm here to listen. I want to be a friend. Uh, I I care, and I'm not here just to listen for this moment. I want us to walk along this journey because I want to help. You know, be a part of the solution and and not part of uh, the continuing problem. How can we be part of the solution? Do you recommend certain resources that can help white people better understand, get a grip? Um, and can bridge those conversations easier. Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely taking it upon oneself to, um, to listen, to engage with, with, uh, with friends, individuals you know who are, are African-American, um, you know, develop a, a reading list that, that includes uh, resources that are tied to injustice, um, African-American studies, you know, a lot of universities have departments. I mean, probably one of the uh, most noted and well-known, you know, scholars, Henry Louis Gates, you know, and Cornell West, they're both at Harvard. I'm not throwing that in because I went to Harvard, but they're both at Harvard. Um, you know, they're, they're brilliant. And if you just follow their, their work and just Google them, you know, there's plenty of material that one can draw from, you know, and also think about, when, when you decide to go watch a movie, when, you know, hopefully at some point we're gonna all get to go back to the movie theaters and, and enjoy that, that form of entertainment. Well, rather than, you know, thinking about another Justice, Justice League movie, if there's a movie that, that has some, you know, racial message or, or, or captures a part of our history, like a Just Mercy movie, uh, that's an opportunity. So I think taking advantage of those, you know, the hate you give is another movie that I think every white person needs to uh, go watch if you haven't. And, you know, and so diversifying your, your resources, your, the resources that you're looking to for information and, and your relationships. And then I will also add from my vantage point in this moment, what we've, what we've done at Project Unity in response to what's going on, uh, we're in the process of 
preparing to launch an initiative that we hope can engage people no matter where they are on this continuum. And it's, we're calling it Together We Can. And, and it really is an effort to bring people together to, to say, yes, we can, you know, cure our country of, of this uh, cancer called racism. And there are three things we're asking people to do or commit to when they engage in Together We Can. First of all, we are rolling out a set of bracelets. If you can see on the screen, um, and what we're asking people to do is to literally wear the bracelets, sort of like taken from the Live Strong campaign. And what that bracelet says is that, uh, one, I'm not silent, that I'm woke. I may not have all the answers, but I'm, I'm awake to the issue, the matter. It also says that I'm going to be part of the solution, not the problem. The other piece, part of it, what it says is every time you look at it, it reminds you, or it should remind you of your commitment to being part of the solution in terms of what I say, you know, my, my biases, being a, more conscious and aware of those biases. So that's the first thing, where the together we can brace it. The second thing is to participate in one of our Together We Dine programs. Uh, we have companies, we have, you know, faith-based groups, we have individuals that are wanting to organize or have a Together We Dine, but to participate in a Together We Dine. Our goal is to have millions of people participating in the dine and mil millions of people wearing the band. And then the last thing we're asking people to do, and that is to consider uh, focusing on one hour per month. Uh, if, if racism is a cancer, then that one hour per month is our cure toward uh, curing our community and our nation of that, of that cancer. And that one hour, uh, we'll have a list of, of activities and things that one can engage in for that hour. For example, one can uh, do some personal introspection and reflection for, for that hour, or you're in engaged in a group conversation, or you're taking someone to lunch that you never would have not you know, thought about engaging in. So a host of things, but we're asking people to consider that as, and that's a long-term, that's, that's uh, accountability. It's intentional focus for, for everyone. I know in um, this program, one of the primary purposes is to um, eliminate illicit bias. Tell us a little bit about that um, and your view on that. Um, we, we all have blind spots and, and one of those is implicit, um, and even unconscious, implicit bias and unconscious bias. And, and we don't even recognize them, you know, when we, you know, when we, when we see it or, or when it happens. Um, and so what we need to do, and there, that's why there's a whole school of training and education around implicit and unconscious bias biases. Um, you know, great great example of of that. You know, playing itself out. You know, in, in many of us, definitely when it comes to to, to race, when when you see, um, you know, a black man, you know, what is the the first thing that that ha 
better example is when, you know, someone gets on the elevator um, and he's, you know, you're white and they're black and you get on the elevator, you know, what, what comes to mind? And do you clutch your purse? Do you, you know, start to sort of think about, okay, you know, what is this, does this person belong, uh, et, et cetera. They, you know, those, those concepts. And, you know, another, you know, sort of unconscious or implicit bias as a former athlete is, you know, when I was, when I was at SMU, the assumption was that I was there at SMU because I played football. Now, that was a reality, but most people just assume if you're a black guy and at a predominantly white university, you look like you're athletic, you're probably playing a sport. And that isn't always the case. Uh, but those are some examples of, you know, just, you know, biases that we don't even think about and that we have to be more conscious, aware uh, as we move forward, and if we're serious about, you know, addressing some of our our misgivings and and failings as individuals and as a community. Trek has a lot of young professionals, thirty five and under. Um, what are your hopes for young people regarding race relations, and do you see this generation being the solution? One, I, I am exhausted by all of this. I am, you know, frustrated. There are points where I'm angry, um, but there's also a sense of hope on my part. And I think a lot of that swells up because of uh, the younger generation, because of millennials and then the generation following them. Because again, those who are, peacefully protesting are, they're not 40-somethings and 50-somethings. There are a few of us out there, but it is largely that younger generation. And I think also they, you know, every generation, you know, sort of starts to, you know, lose a bit of the baggage from, from you know, the, the past, you know, racial biases that we've, we've held on to. And so I think this generation, you know, is has lost a lot of those those issues that, that continue to divide us and 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 hold us back. And so I think that they are are ready to to take the mantle. And and I'm excited and hopeful. And I think truth of the matter is, if we got out of their way, uh, they could probably lead us to use a biblical reference, a child. A child will lead you. And, and I think this is one of those moments where, you know, maybe father doesn't know best. Maybe his kids and his children know, knows what's best. It's not your father's Buick, right? That's My right. kids are awfully quiet over there. I know, I know you want to interact, and I want you to. Are you there? Yeah, I am. Um, so I'd like to make a repeat something that Richie said, but put it in the form of a question because I'd like to hear him talk about it. Um, the conversation was, it isn't a time for action. It's really, in, in a certain sense, is a time to, to make sure we push enough to get the conversation to a point past that inflection point, but it's a time to listen. And the other thing Richie said is it's a time of introspection. And Richie said something else, which is time to humble yourself. And the part about, I think, deep listening is 
one has to forego one's piece of one's own narrative of their life and their success if you have mm -hmm. been the benefactor of a system to understand how somebody else could have done all the same moves, put out all the same effort, if not more, and not arrived at the same place, and yet they haven't achieved what you might have. For you to acknowledge that, you have to give up part of your heroic personal narrative, and that is humble. So, Ruchi, you use the word humble oneself. Can you talk about that some more? Wow. Uh, Mike, I actually think you summed it up. <laughs> um, you, you know, I, I, I go back to the, to the analogy of, of sports. Um, and, and I think it's, again, such an important teacher because, and, and I'll give this example. When, you know, I grew up in Austin, Texas, went to the top high school, was the quarterback. And, and there was a point in, in, during my senior year well, I really, you know, thought I was man, um, you know, winning program. And, and so I decided to, to sort of, sort of be lazy about my responsibilities. And, you know, I, I remember going to practice, showing up a little later, you know, just sort of taking my time. Now I'm supposed to be a leader. And, and one of my coaches, you know, called me to the carpet and, and reminded me, of my responsibility and 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 I had to and and furthermore I also had the worst game of my career uh that week uh because I think there's a there's something about our work ethic and and our our sense of responsibility that that keeps us keeps us you know achieving and doing doing well uh but but the point of that was you know I literally had to reassess and humble myself because sometimes we can, don't miss this, we can think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Because, and even Warren Buffett said this, he, he said, he said um, part of my success, yeah, I worked hard, but part of my success is that I was born a white man in, in, this, in this time of history. He said, and I had options and, and my parents, had you know a certain status in in life so i had access to things so he said i'm not uh, naive to just think that i s literally just pull myself up by my bootstraps and some of us definitely work hard but you know what some of us you got to have boots and you got to have some straps to pull yourself up and some people don't even have boots nor straps and and so i think it is important to to recognize uh you know that that to whom much is given, which is, I think, a point of humility, much also is required. And that it is not about the, you know, the next big, big deal or even, you know, having the biggest house, but truly, you know, what am I, uh, what am, what's my mission? And I think that also is a way for us to, to humble ourselves is to think about, you know, our mission. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll share this because I think missions and mission is so important for all of us in this context, in, in the larger context of life. And I'll even share an example of that because I think it forces us to humble ourselves and, and not reach or grab for things that was not intended for us. And I'll give a good example. When I was on the board of the, the Real Estate Council Foundation many years ago when, when uh, the Latino Cultural Center uh, was being considered, they brought the proposal to us 
to, um, and the city did, and they wanted the real estate council to make a commitment. And some of you may remember this, who were on the board at the time. And we spent about 45 minutes examining and listening to a presentation. And, and then we went into a conversation about, you know, whether or not we should do this. And, and then someone said, what's our mission? And so someone went and grabbed the mission, which we probably all should have known what it was going in, but they grabbed the mission statement and we read the mission and within 10 minutes or less, we discerned that this was as important as it was, it was not part of our mission. And, and that's humbling because sometimes, you know, you want to be all things, we want to be important, but sometimes when we really get back to who we are, our mission, we, we recognize some things are not meant for us. And, and also we, we recognize that, that we are required to, to step up when it's our moment in time to, to lead and not follow. And also when it's time to follow and not lead. Okay, we have another question. What do you think of the defund the police movement? For, for, those who, for, for, for those who, who, um, who, you know, think it's such an extreme, just, just understand from where people who are wanting change are coming from. If you've been beating your head against the wall or, or knocking on the door, trying to, you know, get in and the people won't let you in, Eventually, you're gonna take another route, and and so I think the the whole notion around defunding, you know, really speaks to the restructuring, want to call it reforming, but 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 I think the systemic change that needs to be under needs to happen within law enforcement, and some acknowledgments within law enforcement that there are some systemic issues, and and sometimes in those of us who are in business, I mean, you know. If, if you have a, a, dis, a bad culture, you got to do something to change that culture and you've got to shake things up. And whether we want to call it defunding or, or restructure, maybe it's not, I, I, I don't think the, the approach is to defund. I think the approach is to look at how we restructure and also think about how we allocate resources uh, because putting more police on the streets when maybe we need to invest in you know, more educational programs. We need to invest in, you know, a different form of community policing where you have, you know, people who may not, I mean, and, and also guys, especially those of us in business, I mean, we have to think out of the box. And this is one of those moments where we have permission, I believe, to think out of the box, to craft and, and shape something that, that definitely provides for public safety, but also specifically addresses the issues that are at hand. You know, we've made a lot of progress in terms of diversity in business. We're not there yet, but I think we're really woefully behind in the real estate industry in terms of bringing people of color into our industry. Any ideas on how we can do a better job of building a more diverse industry? Yes. Yeah, I, I would start. One, I'm going to uh, throw a, a shout out to uh, my colleagues, uh, Judd and Vance, my partners at, at Prescott, because one of the things that we've made a commitment to 
is making sure that we are nurturing, developing uh, interns, specifically uh, minority and women, um, and giving them, you know, an opportunity on the from the ground up. And I think that's an important approach. We created a program called Next Gen uh, Internship to really uh, focus on providing an opportunity for for them. And then we we've sort of even crafted it in such a way where interns, because you know, as a fund manager, you have institutional investors that you're partners with. So we actually partner with the institutional investor and the intern spends time with us and then goes spend time with the institutional investor to give them a, just a, a wide swath of, of experience and, and connections that they would have never had. But I think it, it definitely begins with, um, with, with creating opportunities for those who are coming in. You know, for me, when I thought about real estate, growing up in, in Austin, Texas, my notion was a realtor and nothing wrong with a realtor, but I had no idea about commercial real estate, about you know, what it means, what a developer did, uh, what it means to uh, be, a, be an architect and the different functions and roles that go into to real estate from financing to you know, private equity side of that. So I also think there, there needs to be you know, a, a real commitment to educating and, and making sure you know, kids in, in a community that, that will never have any exposure. See, your, your children, you know, your neighbor's kids, I mean, we all live sort of in, 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 a, in, in a vacuum, so to speak, because we're around each other and, and we just think everyone else knows the world of real estate when most people, are, it's foreign. And, and I promise you, when, again, when most people, average people think about real estate, they think about, you know, the person who sells, you know, sells houses. And, and that's, a, that's a great profession, but there's a broader, you know, canvas in the real estate space. And I think we've got to open that up to a whole generation of, of young men and women who, who are not, who look m more like me and less like Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we are. I, 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 that's okay with everybody. That's okay, everybody. They look more <laughs> like you and less like me. That's all right. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Richie, uh, Mike and I are, and, and yourself in the industry, you know, we're a, let's roll up our sleeves and fix it. And I so appreciate your instruction to, we need to listen. Let's first sit back and listen. But we also are very good at taking action. So how would we go about setting up an internship program? I assume that you would share your success with Prescott in terms of uh, how you locate the interns, the structure of the program. Um, will you help us there? Yes, most, most definitely. Uh, I mean, we, we tie it to the, to the colleges and specifically, you know, we get the word out to a local college like SMU. Uh, several interns have come from there, other schools, but we would, I would definitely be more than willing. Uh, and I think, um, I'm not speaking on behalf of, of my colleagues at Prescott, but I, I know we care deeply about this um, so much so that I think, you know, we, we're willing to open the playbook up to help others uh, move into this, um, to this arena and expose a whole generation of, of young men and women. You know, you think about it, and I want to say this, 
you know, the kid who sells uh, drugs on the corner, he can run numbers like nobody. He's, he doesn't have a calculator. Here, they don't have a calculator, but, but they, they, they are business savvy and business minded. And if you can reroute that, that, that creativity and that innovative you know, mindset to something that is productive, like real estate, I mean, man, I mean, you, you, you want to double your profits if, if you want some, you know, some uh, stars on your team. I mean, you think about those, and, and these are kids that, you know, have some, I mean, they have a reason to hustle because they, they got to make it. And, and so I just want us to think about it from that vantage point. There is talent out there. We have, to, we have to train it. We have to nurture it. We have to make a commitment to it. But there's talent out there. Yeah, no question about it. Um, together we can. I know there's a lot of people on the call that want to be part of the solution. Uh, how do we get our companies involved in Together We Can? Um, we, we are about to roll it, roll it out in the next few weeks. Um, we can get a communication to, to Linda and the council to, to let people know how they can begin to, to sign up. Um, there, again, the three things we're, we're asking uh, individuals and for a company to do. And so we can get that. If you're interested, you know, let Linda know and, and that can be communicated to me and I can get it to our project unity team and can follow up directly with uh, individual companies and, indiv and individuals uh, who are interested in being part of uh, Together We Can. Because my goal is I want everybody in Dallas, North Texas, Texas, the U.S. to be wearing a Together We Can bracelet. Uh, that will send a message uh, to, to e we'll send a message to each other uh, that we are, we're in this. And we're, to use a word from, from uh, football days, we're in it to win it. <laughs> Love that. One of our members uh, suggested a book uh, and would like to get your thoughts on it, The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. It's a book I about the country's history of policy. Uh, thoughts I on that book or any others that we, you think would be helpful? I, I have not read that, that book. Uh, but I'm going to make a note and put it on my, my reading list. Uh, I will offer uh, one book that, especially it, it relates to the justice system, you know, the history of policing in this country, especially given, you know, this is part of the reason, you know, we are in this moment because of, because of the issues around policing. And it's called uh, the, the, the New Jim Crow. And it's by Michelle uh, Alexander. So I think it was a new New York Times bestseller, but it really sort of chronicles the history of policing in this country and also, you know, this notion of mass incarceration, uh, et cetera. So I would recommend, highly recommend that book. That's great. We're getting, our time is drawing to a close. So if you get, um, if you have any other questions, please send them in. One is how do we talk to our children about race and talk about the protest and the current events? How do we um, bring them into the fold? You know, I, I think it's important to, to engage, our, engage our kids because I promise you, 
if they're of, of a certain age, they're on social media. So someone's talking to them or they're communicating with a whole group of people. And, 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 and let's be very uh, honest and real about uh, this, this uh, conversation. You know, we become whom we behold. And, and our kids are a reflection of us. And, and so if, if we want to, you know, develop and nurture a group of children who truly value other people, uh, who respect and care for all people, no matter their race, and who, who really understand why people are saying Black lives matter. It's not that all lives don't matter, but there is, there is a discrepancy. There is a deficiency uh, when it comes to how Black people have been treated. And so to have those conversations, those real raw conversations with our children, I think are important. And I think that as parents, you may not have all the answers. You know, as a pastor, and I know some of you, it's hard to believe this, but your pastor don't have all these spiritual answers. <laughs> um, but I think when we are open and vulnerable to, to, to the conversation and acknowledge, I don't have the answers, son, daughter, but we're gonna figure this out together. And, and I'm going to, you know, we're going to read a book as a family together. Uh, we're going to watch a movie together uh, that, that educates and helps to inform us around racism so that we can then, you know, start to unpack. And we're going to go participate in something together, again, being engaged in this, in this, this struggle, in this fight. I, I think that's the, the, the proper approach because as a father, you know, I have my perspective but but i don't i don't have all the answers and um and i think i have to be you know honest and 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 fair uh, when it comes to my conversations with my children on that front you know i heard a recent um example and an analogy for the black lives matter we talk a lot about you know all lives matter black lives matter and a mother was explaining to her child the concept of Black Lives Matter. And it was, okay, Johnny is on the playground and gets hurt. They come back into the classroom. The nurse comes in and is going to give a Band-Aid to Johnny. It's not giving a Band-Aid to everybody in the classroom. It's Johnny that's hurting. And that is similar to Black Lives Matter. Uh, it's people of color that are hurting. And we need to be part of the solution and provide the Band-Aid. I, I love Mike, that analogy. You, I liked it as well. Mike, you have any thoughts before we close up? No, and I, I know when she ends, Kim and, and Holland are going to thank you graciously. Um, I just liked it, Richie. If y'all haven't, you might want to Google back and look at some of the other op-eds he's written over the years for the Dallas Morning News. Uh, Richie's not just showing up on the scene. He's been here for a long time and, and to Richie on behalf of all of us and myself, but I know I'm speaking for all of us. I'm glad you're in the industry. Socrates always said, when asked what's the most important virtue, the most important virtue he said is courage because without courage, none of the other virtues matter. Yeah. And I know you are a pastor because it's, it's mean, has deep meaning and a calling to you, but I deeply and we deeply appreciate and are grateful that you're in Dallas because of your courage to have these conversations in such a personal, straightforward, and frank and honest way. It does take courage. 
and you need to know that we know that and we acknowledge that and we appreciate you and the courage with which you bring up conversations that are deep, they are hard, they are not easy, they don't have answers. And we have two viruses right now and this is the oldest and most elusive of them. And there isn't an answer, but there is a fight. And we really appreciate you being in their business, but being at the forefront of this fight, not just for black people, but for Dallas. So thank you to you. Thank you, thank you. And, and, and I just wanna acknowledge uh, the Real Estate Council for your ongoing leadership. Again, for, for the courage to, to have this conversation uh, again, I mean, you could easily sort of sort of cover up and just wait for everything to sort of pass over and die down. But I appreciate your leadership. And I also want to just acknowledge uh, my colleagues at, at Prescott because uh, because of my work in the community, you know, they, they've just been supportive and recognizing that uh, it's, it's, it, it's a time to lead and to step out and to and just their support, because as you guys guys know, uh, it takes me away from our office, uh, but I value and appreciate their, their support in all of this. Very much so. Pastor Richie, you're the best. Um, thank you for having this conversation with us. The Real Estate Council, as I mentioned, is so good at harnessing people with energy, people who have heart, people who wanna make a difference in the community. And it's forums like this that help us, help educate us so that we can be a force of opportunity. We can create that Dallas for all. So thanks so much for your time today, for your passion and for your commitment to unity. May we all take a personal commitment uh, to build unity in our community. Our families, start with our families, uh, our workplaces and our community. Thank you, guys. That's all for today. I'd like to thank Richie Butler for sharing his insights with us and hope you all learned something that will help and inspire you to continue the fight for equality in our world. If you like what you heard on today's show, please subscribe to TrackCast on your favorite podcast app and make sure you follow the Real Estate Council for the latest news and updates from around the organization. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.